Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Before we get into the episode, I want to say thank you to this episode's sponsor, Black Wolf. Black Wolf is a men's skincare brand that is solution-focused. If you have razor bumps, acne, oily skin, etc., they have a simple, affordable solution for you. Make sure to check them out at blackwolfnation.com and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by CEO and founder of Hello Ava, Siki Mu. Growing up in China, Siki came to the U.S. to attend Stanford and Harvard. Taking inspiration from a class project, Siki created Hello Ava, an artificial intelligence skincare consultant. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Siki Mu of Hello Ava. Siki, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start out with your childhood. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So um, I grew up actually overseas. So I um, I grew up in this town called Guangzhou in in southern China, and um, I grew up in an entrepreneurship family, which is kind of a, one of the reasons that inspired me to start a business later on. Um, I remember that you know my parents were both really busy, um, and I was raised by my grandparents, and they are super nurturing and they you know they're like basically parents to me they like went they went they took me to a lot of different you know places and parks and then you know we travel overseas together so we we i grew up in a family that's extremely loving but um i almost rarely see my parents um and then i my parents didn't take me to into their work until i was almost in uh, primary school. So I remember at the year uh, when I was around like eight, eight or nine, like this, I was like in second or third grade, uh, I finally okay. kind of start to uh, start learning what my parents do. And um, and back then they owned this um, like like an international trading firm that, that they have, they basically acted as agencies of, of um, countries that want to do business with Chinese companies. So they export and import a lot of um, just, you know, furnitures or um, goods that are made uh, like candles and like a small, like goods that are made for home uses or outdoor home, outdoor uses. So I remember yeah. going to uh, factories with my parents, yeah. sometimes going to trade shows with my parents and then wondering like, wow, like this is really cool. Like how come my you know, my dad brings home all these random, like, like they're not toys, but then at least I can play with. And I felt like it's pretty interesting how these beautifully made goods are, like, we rarely could uh, could access in, in, in China because they're usually being exported to overseas uh, markets. But I, I thought that was kind of like a really interesting how you know, I, my parents made those products. I, I didn't know they didn't make it. I, I thought they made those products back then. I thought they actually yeah. <laughs> used their yeah. hands and made those things in like somewhere in the, like, you know, I, I don't get to see where they made it. But um, later on, I obviously realized that they work with manufacturers to make those. But I, I, when I was a little kid, I thought that they make those candles, they make those umbrellas like themselves. And mm-hmm. I was really in, intrigued by that. Awesome. So, did you have an entrepreneurship mindset growing up? Did you ever sell anything or try to start a business prior to school and Hello Ava? Mm, I don't. I don't think so. But I. So I did. I 
do think I have the mindset growing up and I didn't, I didn't really sell anything, but I started going to trade shows with my dad when I was um, in high school. So, um, you know, when, like, I think we started taking English lessons when I was like super young, I was like, like nine or 10. So uh, by the age of 13, I was already pretty fluent. So um, like starting from like, like middle school and high school, I was able to conduct a pretty good, like involved conversation with, my, with people who do business with my, with my parents. So um, starting from like middle school, high school, I, you know, I travel a lot with my parents and they're very like much like global citizens. So they travel to so many different countries to do trade shows. My dad later on expanded the business con- like considerably, I would say. And then he started um, like, you know, he started building his own factory of you know, quite a few other factories in, in both China and Indonesia and Vietnam. So we had like a lot of presence in the, and we like specialized in uh, one field, which is outdoor furniture later on. So we basically stopped like exporting other types of furniture or types of like candles or umbrellas. We only focused on outdoor furniture and the scale was like much higher, larger now than before. So I remember starting from, um, um, like when I was like 15, I, you know, we were doing a lot of trade shows in Germany and in like in the, obviously in the U.S. and then in other some other European countries. But there's this big um, outdoor furniture show that we will always go to in Germany, which was in which was in Cologne. And that yeah. always happened right before my birthday. And my birthday was is uh, end of August. So so it's like a fun thing to do for that trip and then celebrate my birthday with my parents. Um, yeah. So I would, I would go with my dad and then, uh, or my mom sometimes too. And then we'll go to Germany and then we'll stay. And I remember going to those trade shows and then people would be, people would think that, Oh, she's just like hanging out here. And she's just like the daughter of the owner of the business. But mm-hmm. then my dad would encourage me to start talking to these people and then, greet them and give them, you know, like give them candies and chocolate. <laughs> and then also, um, you know, give them a quick introduction of the business, like why we're one of the leading manufacturers in outer furniture, what makes us unique. And then, you know, look at these beautiful pieces that it's being shown in our showroom. So I was really interested in doing that. I, I was fascinated by that. And I really enjoyed doing that myself, actually. And I remember like, like a lot of the people, when they talked to me, they were like, so who are you? They're like, like you're this like teenager. But then, but then they, I told them a little bit about my background. That was like when I was only like 14, 15, but I was like wow. pretty, I thought I was actually doing a pretty good job, like selling the vision of the company. And then they all wanted to stay later and talk to my parents and talk to the employees at his firm. And, you know, I felt like, I wasn't really involved in selling directly, but I think I probably helped close some of those deals for my dad because they talked to me. And then when the showroom got super busy, um, you know, I was like, I don't mind giving a hand. So I kind of just, you know, kind of like approach those people and then start chatting with them and telling them a little bit about the company and then lead them to my, you know, to the people who can actually close deals. So that was kind of like an early 
an early kind of introduction to entrepreneurship. And then later on, I, I also, um, you know, ran for the student government at a high school. And then I got, um, you know, it was, um, and I, I think I got uh, elected to be the, the president of our student government. But I think all of those presentation skills and how to sell and how to convince people kind of started when I was going to, to shows with my parents, really. And that has really made a big difference and impact later on in my life. For sure. That's such an amazing experience. So where um, did you go on to study then in college? So um, after high school, I made a decision um, to come to the States and then uh, study here. And because of my experience running the uh, student government back in high school and also um, having a lot of very unique experience as, as a pianist. So I grew up as a, you know, playing the piano competitively, like doing all these competitions. So I, I got some good awards uh, from that experience. I, I was pretty lucky because my parents are very, um, gave me all these opportunities when I was young and then let me decide which extracurricular I was interested in. And I eventually I did like all kinds of things like ballet, um, you know, piano, violin, like calligraphy, so like painting, so many things. But then I ended up like going with piano because I felt like that was something I really, I feel passionate about and I actually I'm good at it. Like painting, I'm so bad at it. I, I didn't really enjoy, like I didn't really enjoy failing all the time. So I like yeah. to do things yeah. that I, I felt like I could succeed in. Um, so I ended up going piano and I was like, got to a point where I was pretty good and then I was like winning all these awards and uh, competitions and also um, kind of I went through like these uh, kind of um, it's a, a system where you kind of you can do like grades one to ten and I did like all the way to a grade ten and I also did this um, exam uh, that's conducted by the Royal Academy uh, Music of Academy in England so I did all of that stuff and I did pretty well. So then I um, start doing more performance and I give concerts and stuff. So um, because of the talent, like the musical talents and also some of these um, extracurricular work as a, especially as a student president of the student government, I um, was pretty lucky and I, I got into Stanford. Um, okay. So I, I, that's where I did my college. And I had a whole exploration of what, I think I would be interested in doing. I was, you know, I was really interested in computer science. I was interested in music. I was also interested in obviously economics and business because I grew up kind of like observing how my parents do business. Um, so I end up choosing um, computer, sorry, I end up choosing economics as my major. And then I minored in music and also I, I, I minored in um, computer science. So that's like kind of what I did at, at Stanford. Um, and then for a long time, I thought I was gonna go into uh, maybe doing something in the, in the intersection of music and, um, and business. So I interned at Warner Brothers for the first job I had uh, right before, uh, like right before junior year which was interesting, but not very exciting. I felt like it was kind of slow to work and then it didn't really give me the kind of strong, I, I didn't feel challenged in a way, you know, it's almost yeah. too corporate. Um, and then, so then the summer after I worked in uh, JP Morgan in LA, which handles a lot of, um, you know, their entertainment clients, uh, entertainment type of business. And I thought that was interesting 
but I didn't really want to stay in LA. Uh, I think I had a lot, I, I spent a long time in California, like, you know, both in college, during college and all these internships. So um, by senior year in college, I, 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 I made a decision that I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go to New York and I want to work in finance. And that's how I started my first job after college. And I, and I worked at Morgan Stanley for a couple of years after that. Okay. So prior to Hello Ava, what kind of jobs were you working then? You said this previous job that you just said, did you have any other jobs besides that? Yeah. So, so that gives a good segment to kind of my, my, like my journey, like in professional mm -hmm. life after college. Um, I, I think Hello Ava is a little bit of, I would say like off chart type of pursuit. I didn't think that I was going to become an entrepreneur, even though you saw in my earlier life that I have all these interest in passionate entrepreneurship as the daughter of an entrepreneur family. But yeah. I didn't actually think that I will become an entrepreneur because I'm actually pretty risk averse. I would say deep down, I, I think what I have always been um, trying to do in my life, at least in my past, like 10 years as a professional, um, I was always kind of going for the big names and then the, the prestigious like institutions trying to build on my resume, which I guess it, it is the right thing to do if you're early in your career because you want to build up your resume. But um, I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted. I just was doing it because it sounds like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, so like the first job I did after college, I knew that I, I thought finance was interesting because of my, my experience working in LA from JP Morgan. So I decided to stay in finance and I was an economics major. So that was like one of the best jobs you could get as an economics major. So yeah. I worked at Morgan Stanley at, in New York, um, uh, covering central banks and sovereign wealth funds for, uh, almost three years and I was really I actually really really loved the job and then I was can you hear me yeah well? hear. okay yep. yeah I, was, I really loved the job and then I I um I learned so much and I built a lot of great relationships with my clients who are all these central bankers from around the world um because they are um you know they're like essentially the monetary, monetary policy makers of their country mm -hmm. and me growing up kind of as an international uh myself I I felt like I could build out this, like, I, I really, um, I really had a lot of um, similar experience with these clients. So um, I, it was really fun for me to be helping them with their, you know, trades with in the U.S. Treasury markets or U.S. agency markets. So, yeah. uh, and I love macro policy, macroeconomics policy, because that was actually one of the areas that I, would, I did the best when I was studying economics. So. This is like a perfect combination. And I really enjoyed doing it. Um, I didn't mind the bad, I mean, obviously all investment banking jobs have bad hours. I didn't mind it because I was having so much fun and I was kind of on this career high. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then like after that, I've always, I know that like I was really interested in doing macro policy and then I was very good at economics policy. So I decided to, um, you know, study further in this. And I wanted to, I always knew that I wanted to go back to school, maybe to get an advanced degree. And my parents want, want me to do that as well. They're encouraging me to do so. I think that's kind of like comes down to the Chinese parents type of uh, mentality. They want you to 
you yeah. get all the degrees. But I, I was interested in doing so myself. So um, after being in investment banking for a couple of years, I also wanted to take a little bit of a break. So I, um, I decided to go back to school. So um, what I did was actually this really interesting program where I got to go to two schools for two, two degrees all within three years. Um, and then, so I did a, I did a master in public policy at Harvard Kennedy School. And then I also got an MBA from Stanford. And the reason I was able to do that was because these two schools had an agreement of this joint degree they can do. Um, so I really want to study more policy because I didn't, I, that wasn't really in the focus for my undergraduate. So, and then after my job at, you know, covering these sovereign wealth funds and central bankers, I felt really intrigued by this world. So I wanted to learn more about economic policy making. So that's why I went to the Kennedy School at Harvard to study more on the on the public policy stuff. And then I, you know, obviously I'm also a business per, a businesswoman. So I yeah. wanted to, um, you know, do an MBA. I felt like that will open my doors to a lot more opportunities in the future, not just finance. So yeah. um, my parents are really really want me to do an MBA as well because like if one day I do take care of family business my parents feel like an MBA will be really helpful in learning like just a whole holistic you know view of how how to do business and how to close deals so I did this I did the MBA at Stanford and I was very happy to be back in California after spending a couple years in New York and um you know back to my in where I had my undergraduate um, also beautiful weather to, um, you know, to do the MBA. So, um, and then in between, obviously, I also did a few like finance related jobs. So I worked in, um, um, I worked at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And okay. that was one of the internships I did as um, at, when I was at Kennedy School at Harvard. And it was really interesting because like, you know, I've always been on the, the private side, side of the finance world. And this is the first time I'm kind of a, on the public service side. And um, I, when I was the federal, at the Federal Reserve, I was focused on regulation and, um, and also uh, supervision of financial, financial firms. So I actually got to work with many investment banks, which is the side I came from, um, to understand, like, to give them like kind of guidance on how to conduct business so that we won't go into the big problem we had back in 2008 again and that was really interesting for me to understand how like financial regulation works and then that also is like kind of in the intersection of policy making and and financial markets and then I also worked in PIMCO which is like a huge uh, mutual fund and um, that was really great as well Um, and then another experience I had before um, before Halueva was I actually moved to Indonesia and then worked in Bloomberg Television as a news oh, wow. anchor covering financial news. And and then all of these, I will categorize them as like finance related work, even though the broadcasting job is more kind of in the field of journalism, I still was covering many financial news. So I felt it, it wasn't that different from me talking about markets news mm-hmm. to my clients when I was Morgan Stanley. So all of that is like all in the finance world. So I never really think that I was going to go work in a beauty company or start a beauty company. Yeah, that's so interesting. And that's such an amazing journey. So in 2016, Hello Avo was established. What inspired you to, to develop this? Yeah, so um, 
So that kind of has to go back uh, to my my journey um, as an MBA student. So um, when I was back in when I was back at Stanford, you know, I still at this point, I wasn't really sure where whether I would do entrepreneurship Um, Mm -hmm. because in between my first and second year during MBA, I went back to finance again. I worked at PIMCO, as I said earlier. So that was kind of like a pretty, you know, set journey for me and I could go back to just working a big macro fund and that felt like pretty you know safe and also pretty good life you know you make like Mm -hmm. decent amount of money um but then like in my second year during MBA um there are a lot of uh, my classmates are taking these classes in school um called like start a garage or um lean launch pad like all of these classes that basically tells you or gives you the exercise of how to become a founder. And it gives you the toolkits you need to test out ideas and um, prove part of market fit. And then eventually being able to launch a business. I came into one of these classes, um, not really knowing like what that was gonna do to me, right? But then this class, the reason I wanted to take it is because I know it's very competitive you need to have a technical um, team member in order to apply. And they only take eight teams out of like, you know, hundreds of applications. So now I was like, well, okay, if everyone wants to take this class, it must be good. And that's kind of like, you know, how I pick things in the past, like which sometimes is probably not the right approach. But, um, you know, I always look at what other people are trying to do. If it's something is competitive, it must be, it's hard to get it, then it must be good. So sometimes yeah, sure. I challenge myself to do those things. And if I succeed, I become really happy to do it. But I, you know, I make choices sometimes based on this and which oftentimes might not be the right choice. But, um, but sometimes it's the right choice because if everyone wants it, usually you're not too far from like, you know, what is the right thing to do. Anyway, so I still sometimes doubt my own philosophy of making choices in life using this benchmark. But um, but that was kind of how I decided that, oh, let me try this class too, if everyone is trying to get it. Um, and I, I applied and then, um, you know, with one of my good friends in business school, and then we had like, we recruited someone from the chemical engineering department who was the technical member and someone from the medical school. And then we, you know, we didn't really have a clear idea of what we want to do, but all of us kind of connected on the, on this big pain point we have which is this this the the beauty market especially so so we have like three girls and four four people in total with three girls and then we all at some point in our life has struggled with our skin because we were trying all these products and it either doesn't work or it comes from friends recommendations and um and when we start using it, it didn't work well because their skin is different from ours when you take a recommendation from a friend. And so we wanted to, we don't really have like a firm idea, but we have a big pain point we're trying to solve, which is this not knowing what's the right product for us ourselves to use. So then we're like, okay, we're going to just apply to the class with this idea, but we don't really have an idea. So how are we going to present it? But we presented our pain point and who are the kind of what are the solutions in the market? And we we went through like two rounds of interview. I remember I was actually at, at 
in Cambridge at that point because I was doing the joint degree. Yeah. So I did my interview. Um, usually you are supposed to do it in person with the professors, but I did my interview because I was in at Harvard that, that semester. I, I did my interview in Cambridge um, like, through Zoom. Nowadays it seems so normal, but back then <laughs> I remember it was like such a big deal. Like I had to like email my professors many times. Like I'm so sorry I couldn't do this in person because I'm like not on campus this semester. And I had to explain to them why that was the case. Mm. And then we went through like two rounds of interviews. We got into this class. We're so happy. Wow. Um, and during this class, we had just an eye-opening experience. It was transformational, truly. You know, we almost did not, I mean, the classroom setting was very, you know, it was very like, like kind of supplemental to what you actually need to do. Like you, you are supposed to go outside and talk to many, many people. Because if you just stay in a classroom or stay in your own home and trying to think like, oh, what is this idea? How can I solve this problem? You're never really going to get anywhere. This yeah. whole idea is that you need to go out and talk to people. So um, in the class, we have an assignment of talking to at least five to 10 people um, a week. And you have to conduct an interview around um, at least 10 minutes. And that was like a lot of work because you're like we were doing at least four or five other classes at the same time. And then to be able to spare the time to go outside and talk to random people on the yeah. street for like, and to do this 10 times a week, it's, it's a lot. Right. Yeah. So, um, but then we still managed to do that in, and then we realized through this, these interviews that it was actually really interesting um and it was the finding from these interviews were fascinating and honestly like much bigger than what we have thought about and we realized that it confirmed these people over 90 percent of the people we talked to have confirmed our belief that they are they don't really know what what to use for their face and they're constantly going through this trial and error process in order mm -hmm. to find out what works for them and whenever they get recommendations from friends for skincare products, it oftentimes doesn't work well because their friends might have a different skin type than theirs. Yeah, so then true. we're like, wait, this exactly confirms our belief and what we like struggle with as teenagers, especially when we had acne and all these issues when we were younger. Then we're like, okay, there's something here that we should do. And what is the solution? How can we build it to solve this problem? That, that's kind of where we start thinking about about what to do, what to what to build, and how to build it. Okay, so once you had the idea, was anyone in your group experienced in coding, or like, yeah, how did you get the website launched and the actual consultations and pursuing the actual company? How did that get going? Did you guys have experience? Yeah, so the the class was like a good introduction to how to start a company, but then obviously everyone and like in our group you know, had like different agendas, like, um, for example, one of the medical students, she still has like two or three more years of schooling. And then mm. the other chemical engineering person has like, you know, five more years as a PhD. So it's hard to be able to build a team with your original, like people, like the teammates that you had when for you sure. did this class. The class was more like a, almost, I call it a simulation of what it feels like to start a company. 
but it 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 becomes very apparent to me that it it proves something that we've never thought about. It proves something that was a huge business opportunity here, which can give at least gives me the toolkits if I want to keep pursuing this. And none of us are like are you know sure at that point whether we want to pursue this full time. But at least it gives me a idea of if I want to pursue this. What are the testing? What are the um, the you know the prospective clients or customer client a clientele that I need to be going uh, after? Yeah. So, so what I did was that you know I had two choices at that point. I could go back to finance, and I had a few full time offers from big firms, um, or I could try this and then see if it works out. Um, I wasn't. I was like kind of struggling, you know, big time. I wasn't sure what to do, you know, and I had a lot of soul searching um, moments. I, you know, I was two months away from graduating from business school. I, I like had a crisis time actually. I, I almost I never shared this, but I think you asked great <laughs> questions, and that kind of got me to talk about this. But <laughs> I, um, I had a crisis time. I'm like, what do I do at this point? Like I'm like struggling big time. I, I oh another thing is like, I was planning my wedding because I was getting married that summer in August, and I also had to okay. finish a thesis for, for Kennedy School. I wow. I had this. Um, so I actually had a great uh, mentor, and also my thesis advisor was Professor Larry Summers, who is like the Treasury, uh, the State, uh, Tre- Secretary of Treasury for Bill Clinton, and also it was the Harvard's um, president like many years ago. So he's very obviously very high profile, and I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to disappoint him. Like, like I obviously want to do a great job because mm-hmm. Larry Summers is like so hard to get like i like try so hard hustle like big time to get him as my advisor so i want to do a good job so i didn't really have a lot of time to think about my career but i was like kind of constantly going through the struggle like what should i do like i kind of want to do something about this entrepreneurial journey Mm -hmm. but is this the right time or should i go back to finance because that seems like more comfortable and easy um so so I, I really struggle a lot like during those days, not sure what's the right thing to do. And I kind of look back on my life choices I've made in, in, the, in the first like, you know, seven years of professional life. I felt like I've always um, going for, I've always been going for the safe choices, as I said earlier, you know, kind of mm-hmm. going for the big names and what's prestigious. And if I go back to finance, I would probably end up joining one of those big prestigious firms again. And it just felt like a pattern that's repeating itself. And I just didn't know if that's the right thing to do. And I was having all these self-doubts. And on the other hand, I was like, we prepare a beautiful deck for this idea coming from the class. And we like start, you know, we start getting a lot of meetings, you know, and then yeah. these are not meetings that I'm like trying to get myself. These are meetings just like random venture capitalists is sitting in our class and they're like they saw what we presented they're like wait this is interesting there could be a business here and they invited us to their office to to present again wow so then we're like you know so then i was like wait maybe i should just pursue this if we can raise some capital you know without me without me taking too much financial risk mm-hmm. and and i kind of was like still open-minded about different choices in life so what I did is um, 
I started presenting this idea to them and right before like, you know, graduating. And then we actually pretty lucky, um, we got some funding. We got actually quite significant amount of funding without like with, with basically a piece of PowerPoint and a great team. Um, and then we, we, then at that point, obviously people, if they give you funding, their first requirement is that you have to do this full time. You cannot do this part time. So yeah. at that point, it helped me make the decision like, okay, now if, if some investors are betting on us, if they believe in idea, then why shouldn't I believe in it? Um, and why shouldn't I give a try? So it becomes clear at that point, like I should give this a try. And if, if it fails, that's fine. I can still go back to finance. And if it doesn't, then it's great. So um, I decided that I was, I'm going to tell all these companies I'm not going and I'm going to work on this beauty idea. And I remember when I, like, they were asking me, like, where are you going? Like, why, why are you not joining us? They were probably expecting me to tell them and I answer that I'm going to one of the competitors. I'm going to yeah. like, you know, but I'm like, I told them, like, oh, I'm going to actually start a company. And they asked me, what's the company you're going to start? I told them this idea. Everyone was like, what? Like, <laughs> they, they were so surprised because it's so irrelevant and so different from what I used to do. That's awesome. So at this time, was it only you or did you have someone else, like a partner building along with you? So I had a, I, I, at that point I had um, two partners. Uh, okay. One of them is a business school classmate and the other person I got introduced later. Um, and then we start kind of building on the initial version of Hello Ava, which um, wasn't actually what you see today. It's just a text message bot where it gives you this idea. And that kind of goes back to the philosophy of this being launchpad class, which is about how do you test out an idea using MVP, right? Like the minimal viable product um, so that you don't have to go fully in and then you can use a proxy to test out like an idea um, to understand if there's like a, a certain level of product market fit before you invest more money and more effort into it. And that's actually such a great philosophy in you know, building technology startups, it is, it's so embedded in everything we do now. It's, it's so important. I think um, you always yeah. want to yeah. find like, what is a good MVP for this bigger concept that you're trying to do. How can we test this? So you want to almost break that big go into smaller steps in order to understand like, is this new feature you're trying to build? Does it actually resonate with the client before you're building it? Um, so what we did, as a proxy of what we're trying to do is this text message bot, which allows customers to be able to text back, back and forth with our bot and then um, to, to get recommendations on what works for them. And the idea is that, you know, people constantly text their friends, right? They're texting their friends about yeah. like, hey, what's the best moisturizer? What, what do you use for eye cream? But again, their friend might give them a wrong choice because their friend's um, skin is different and they whatever works for their friend might not work for us. So how can we mimic this experience of talking to a good friend, but then actually give them accurate recommendations? Mm -hmm. So we built out this 
bot experience where um, goes through a few questions with the customers and then kind of finalize a set of regimen recommendations for them. And it feels almost like you're talking to, uh, texting a friend or texting your personal dermatologist and then you get recommendations of what works for you. And that product was very, I would say it's very simple and it's very easy to use, but it, it worked really well. People love it, like how simple it is. And then it became really, it's very, op, uh, very obvious in the early days, it, it was very popular. So that those feedback gives us great insight into what is the final or like the next iteration of product we're trying to build. What, yeah. what, is, what is that, right? So, um, and then around this time that we also got um, introduced to TechCrunch. So we, um, you know, I met like their editor in chief and then I was uh, pretty, uh, I think we got pretty lucky in terms of getting selected to um, launch our company on TechCrunch. Yeah, that's so, huge. So we selected like around 18 companies, that cohort. Um, so we, we did this big launch on Disrupt um, New York on the stage, and then we, we launched that TechCrunch. And that was the, still the first iteration of product. But because of the TechCrunch exposure and the PR exposure, we got to have, um, you know, just a lot of users and people start like, we, we're, start to, we're starting to see word of mouth growth and then starting to um, get a lot of new users trying our service. And then we, based on these new first, first iteration of, um, and first interviews of these users, we start to learn like, what do they want and how can we build a, like a 2.0 product that's richer and better than um, what is the text message bot that we're offering to the market. Okay. so. When a customer comes on and signs up for a consultation, can they order products directly through you guys and maybe drop ship from there? Or does do you guys give them advice and they go shop for themselves? Or how does that process go? So that's a great question because we have gone through all of this you mentioned. So the okay. first the platform is like, as I said, a simple text message bot and then recommend it, start recommended uh, products and then link you to uh, links and from like all these retailers and then you can buy there. We realized from the customer's feedback that this is not quite a good experience. They felt like it was very, you know, if we recommend five products, they will get five different links and, and it feels like they might not end up buying it because they're landed on five different retailers and then it's the, um, the experience isn't really good. The conversion might not really happen. Mm -hmm. So, and also from these interviews, we realize that customers feel like text message wise easy and great to use, but it's very limited. There's not yeah. beautiful visual. You can't really see these products. Well, you can really, it's like, very difficult to do so then we're like okay maybe we will do um maybe we'll build this into a richer experience with beautiful colors and visuals on the website on a mobile on a mobile web app so that it gives us the ability to offer much richer uh, visuals and much richer experience so that's when we start building out the uh, web application which takes the kind of the 
the core flow of what the text message is offering, but then yeah. uh, also can offer a lot of other things like you can schedule a um, you know a consultation with clients, and also you can see like what is being recommended to you, and you can chat with the skin advisors real time. Um, and then so we built that, and that was launched in, in 2018, um, okay. and that got also just incredible feedback. And then a lot we are seeing like just huge adoption. So I think our user when we launched on TechCrunch has like we have like less than a thousand users, and then. Um, by like 2018, which is only a few months after, we are at around, I think within a couple months that we're at around 50,000 users. Wow. So That's that amazing. was huge growth. Yeah. And then um, now, now we're at almost 130,000 users. So it's obviously a lot higher than where it was before. But um, but that was after we start doing like marketing and growth hacking and all that stuff. But you're seeing like amazing adoption from just like the early days when you had no ads and no yeah. like you know just complete word of mouth, and then you realize there's something unique you're offering here. So so yeah yeah continue. Yeah. So then. Um, so we so then at that point we're still kind of doing the consult on text message and then um, sorry doing the website for the quiz and then um, you know connect the customers to a to a skin advisor for a little more consult and then after that you can get links of products that you can buy but then you get directed on website to buy them. And then we realized that's like a bad experience because a lot of the customers are, we, first of all, we cannot track whether they're buying it. And two, like they, they think that having five links for five different products, it doesn't really help with conversion and people might just drop after that. Mm -hmm. So we, what we decided is that it's probably time that we can potentially sell them these products themselves directly and we talk to many of our users we ask them if at that point we can just handle the purchase for you as well would you actually purchase them or would you still like prefer to get directed to outside links yeah. and then the answer is almost uni uh, unanimous to um and they're all saying that we wanted to you know if you're telling me something i want to know where to buy and i want to buy it right there so we decided that you know, we're going to use this data we collected about how many people are landing on these pages and how many of them are, um, you know, are potentially trying to buy this product, but then they might not end up buying for all these reasons. Um, but then these are great data we can show to the brand directly. Yeah. And then they know how many unmet demand they, there is so that they can maybe work with us directly. So that's what we did. And that, I mean, obviously took a huge amount of time and effort, but we pull out this data of people lending on it, showing like in, intent to purchase. Um, and then we went straight to the brand and tell them like, look, these are how much you're missing on the potential purchase and sales. Do you want to work with us directly? Um, and, then because, and then because of the great data we showed, we got to close a lot of brand partners and we, you know, we actually, uh, and then during the same, like around the same time, we also got this award 
from L'Oreal, uh, who gave us, um, they like awarded three women to be their um, like women in digital awards. And there was, uh, we were one of the three winners that year. Wow. So that gave us the opportunity to work with L'Oreal, a lot of their brands, and also with, um, you know, similar kind of companies, uh, their competitors and, um, and some smaller, younger brands who are just up and coming in the, in the, in the beauty world. So, like we, I think closed almost um, in the first batch of people. We closed around fifty brands that we start working with, and then at this point, we have like over almost like four hundred brands that we work with. But at that point, it's a big achievement to close all these brands that who, you know, we weren't sure before what it will want to work with us directly. So For that sure. was, um, and then we put them on the platform, and then we start selling the products, or and then we start offering a direct channel to the customers so then they can buy directly there. Okay. So being driven by AI, where does human interaction come in with the process for the customer actually taking the quizzes or the consultations? Yes. So after they finish the questionnaire, they will get connected to a skin advisor who will um, what what the skin advisor does is that she will validate what is being recommended by the computer, and if it's like oh, looks all good, she will basically you know approve everything. If it doesn't look good, she will um, be able to modify the choices um, for the customer, and then all these modifications are also being recorded by the machine so that the machine can learn better over time from the expert's input and then become smarter. So that's like a supervised learning process that's being built in the, on the back end. And then, um, and then after it's being finalized and proved and checked by this human advisor, then it gets um, sent to the customers and then the customer can view her finalized um, choices of products that's being recommended to her. And then after she starts using the products, she can also submit feedback of how well the products are working on her skin. And then when she's submitting these feedback, it actually um, helps the engine to become smarter too, because the engine knows exactly who she is, like all the attributes about her, her skin type and skin needs and her ethnicity, wow. her, you know, everything, like her photo and her um, concerns and her age group, like everything about her. So then the engine will understand like, okay, this product works really well for this person. And this person has all these attributes um, and based on her questionnaire. So then it also will know if there's a future person who comes in with the same, same or same exact attributes or similar attributes as the previous person, then the engine will know like what products will work well because they are essentially being categorized as the same person. So then that will solve the problem of what we encountered before, which is, you know, getting recommendation from friends might not always work because your friends are different. But if yeah. your friend yeah. is the same as you based on this collection of data points, then that becomes very valuable advice, right? So, and you can't really do that as a human because we don't really know how is our friend's skin, but then the computer allows us to, to do this in a way that's much more efficient and scalable because the, you know, it can immediately identify which two people are the same based on the attributes it collects. Okay. So how do you retain customers after, say, 
they completed the quiz and the order with you guys? How do you retain them to come back and maybe make another recommendation? Yeah, so the connection they build with the skin advisors are um, are permanent. It, it's always yeah. going to be there and then it doesn't go away and it's going to stay on their text message forever if unless they unless they delete it but usually mm -hmm. people like to stay on in touch so they can um they are so then they're you know they can like speak like consult again with the customers sorry they can consult again with their expert uh advisor and then they can also whenever they get like an acne or you know, some kind of sensitivity reaction, they can always snap a photo and send to us. So that connection is there for a long time if they want to keep um, taking advantage of it. And then at the same time, we, we push a reminder text, uh, text message and emails to remind them to get their skin checked again or remind them to um, refill their products. And then we offer them a 10% a discount when they're refilling the same products again if they're if they've already purchased something with us before um, so because of these efforts that we've made we're seeing um, almost a 40% repurchasing rate so wow. like that's and then that that percentage is actually increasing during COVID-19 um, okay. I think on average we're seeing around 40% and then at last quarter it was at 50 percent so half oh, wow. of the people who use our service will come back and purchase again which i think it shows this um premise and uh, and then the the um the hypothesis we have which is people's skin are constantly changing whatever mm -hmm. you need um, when you're 12 is very different from what you need when you're you know when you're 30 so sure. um so and seasonally your skin is reacting differently as well so you always potentially need different products so you come back again again to purchase new product and new advice and you know get your skin kind of checked that's awesome so if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur maybe something you've learned along the way or regret what would that be um i've shared this with uh with other younger like entrepreneurs like you know in other talks or forums um mm -hmm. i think one of the quotes that really inspired me was actually from john lewis who you know just recently passed and you know a great activist and very inspirational icon yeah. is he said um i think during the war i think he said something which actually applies great to start like to starting a technology company ironically he said if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Um, mm -hmm. It's a really, I mean, back then it was about like a revolution or act like, you know, something they're trying to start. But I actually think it applies really well to starting a company is um, starting a company is extremely hard, right? And like, mm -hmm. you know, for, for me, when I observed how my parents worked tirelessly, almost didn't spend any time with me, like when I was young, is and they build companies and then the odds are always against you because most of the companies fail so and then if you're constantly thinking about that no one will really go out and start companies because it's thousands of millions of things could go wrong yeah. but if you're constantly having self-doubts you know and you don't really do anything about these great ideas you might have then it will never go anywhere so so i think 
being able to take a chance on yourself and actually do something about it is is one of those things it's i think it's worth doing at some point in your life and we have a lot of life usually like right like life expectancy in the you know in, like in the, our current modern world is has been much higher, like longer than like before like before world war ii so if you have a life that could potentially last let's say like 100 years then I think it's worth at some point in your life to do something that's entrepreneurial, even if it could lead to failure. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's kind of like my, my regret is that I didn't really start a company early enough. I almost wanted to, I almost felt like I could have done this like when I was right after college, but I didn't do it mm-hmm. um, because I kind of decided to go for those prestigious names and then trying to build up my resume, which might be the right thing to do. Like, but I don't know, like maybe it's wrong. So you never know unless you actually try it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the first part of his quote, which is if not now, then when, right? If you keep waiting, you will never really get anywhere because you will not start this thing. Mm-hmm. And then the part is if not us, then when, and then who, which is kind of like about you, about believing in yourself and be, like being able to, step that like take that uncomfortable step out and then take a chance on yourself mm-hmm. i think oftentimes we you know we felt like oh i'm not ready yet i'm not you know and that's kind of a goes to, to everything about life like are you ready to get married are you ready to having a kid are you ready to you know go back to school again are you ready to take a s- step forward it like oftentimes your answer will be i'm not ready yet and mm-hmm. that's oftentimes like might be wrong because you're never going to be ready for anything. Like yeah. I just, it actually, I just gave birth to a baby um, back in February. Um, and I remember like when I was like thinking about whether I'm ready to become a mom, I like, my answer is absolutely no. Right. But I still, <laughs> I felt like if I don't do it, like I'm going to miss the good time to become a mom. Cause when I'm like 40 or 50 again, I can't even have children. So like yeah. life always goes to like, that's kind of thing. Like life always, it's like a trick that life is playing on you. It's like you, if you keep waiting there, it's never going to like, nothing is going to ever happen. So you kind of have to make these decisions when you're not quite ready yet. So that's kind of like what I was saying is you have to just take a chance sometimes on yourself and, and be comfortable with the uncomfortable and and step that step that like take that step out so that you can um you can you can try something so um so and you oftentimes even though we all have self-doubts and we're not ready we mm-hmm. feel we might you know it might be as well be us it might as well be you and yeah you never know until you actually try it so that's kind of like my advice is take a chance to on yourself and if you have an idea try it and do something about it execute on it because everyone can have an idea but mm-hmm. only the people who actually try and do it gets to be su- successful for sure well sticky thank you so much for joining me today and to the listeners out there make sure to check out hello ava at helloava.co thank you Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. 
Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.